Grab your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. One of the things that makes a great story is chaos. It's when something really unexpected happens and you're left wondering how in the world the main character is going to deal with that unexpected chaos. We see it in books and movies and TV shows. Unexpected chaos, which leads to some sort of struggle, which typically leads to some sort of happy ending. I got an example for you. Think with me about the, the James Bond movies. Now, let's get this out of the way. Who was the best actor to ever play James Bond? How did I know y'all were going to say that? Yeah, Sean Connery recently passed away, and many people consider him to be the best. Um, it's sad. When I grew up, James Bond for me was Pierce Brosnan. So <laughs> I think my opinion is disqualified. But look, no matter who plays James Bond, let's be honest. Every movie is kind of the same basic storyline, right? There's some unexpected chaos produced by a notorious villain. James Bond is called in to fix the problem. After a series of setbacks, Bond finally faces the villain, and there's an intense struggle. And just when it seems like James Bond is going to be defeated, he uses some secret little gadget that he pulls out, and he kills the villain, and it all works out perfectly. I'm sorry if I just ruined every Bond film for you, but he always figures it out. Like, no matter how chaotic and crazy things get, James Bond is never outdone, but they're still making movies, so maybe we'll see. But that tension is what makes the Bond movies and pretty much every other story a great story. We love to see a big mess come to a nice, clean ending. We, we love to see a satisfying resolution to all the problems. And, and I think we enjoy that in our stories because we don't get to enjoy that often in real life. Sadly, life is not like the movies. Things don't always work out and don't always have a happy ending. Often when the unexpected comes, it, it just plain stinks. And that's all there is to it. And look, I'm one of those people who tries to be positive and see the glass is half full, but it is hard sometimes. And 2020 has been one of those times. We, we faced a pandemic that no one expected and add to that some of the other challenges we dealt with. And man, it's been a tough year. And the word I've often used to describe it is the word chaos. But as a follower of Jesus, like, I know there's another side to it. Like, I believe that God is sovereign and in control. I know I'm supposed to always have hope and, and be joyful in all circumstances. I know Romans 8, 28 and Psalm 23. And I even know how the whole story is going to end in Revelation. Like it's all going to work out. I know that. But then my mind goes back to the present, and I see the stress and difficulty of life, and I see the chaos, and I struggle to believe and trust. And I ask those questions that I think we all think sometimes but are too afraid to say out loud. God, why? Why me? Why now? Why this? Is it just me? Does anybody else out there feel that way sometimes? Or has your life just exactly gone the way you thought it would be? Let's be honest, life is not easy. Unexpected things happen, and we often don't get to know the reason why. But here's what we do know. Here's the good news. As followers of Jesus, we have access to something that I believe the whole world is chasing but just doesn't know where to find it. Here's what it is. It's peace. Peace. Not that kumbaya, everything is awesome, hippie kind of peace, but the kind of peace that comes from God and sustains us through the chaos of life. That peace is real. And it's not just real, but it's available to you. 
And I want to show you how you can experience that peace today as we continue our Advent series. Our series is titled All Things New. It comes from the promise that we have a God who is taking what's broken and making it whole again. He is actively redeeming and using all things for his glory and our good. And this is the message we desperately need to grasp and take to the world. God is making all things new and we, we long for the day that he finishes that job. And that's really what Advent's all about. So, so last week our, our, our first message of this series was out of despair, hope. Today I want us to see this. Out of chaos, peace. And we're going to see this message as we continue working our way through Matthew's version of events surrounding the birth of Jesus. So turn to Matthew 1 if you haven't already. I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. One of the struggles we face with looking at the Christmas story every single year is that it becomes normalized and, and common. We, we lose the, the mystery and strangeness of the story. We miss the fact that it's actually a pretty wild and chaotic story. So I want to encourage you this morning. Don't miss the chaos in this story. This is not normal stuff, okay? This is the most unique and thrilling birth story in the history of the world. So I want us to just step back and see this story with fresh eyes today. And, and from this story, I want to show you three ways we can experience peace in the midst of chaos. Here's the first way. Number one, be prepared. Be prepared. Matthew's nativity account follows things from Joseph's perspective, which we're probably not as familiar with. It typically, we focus on Mary's perspective, which is laid out in the Gospel of Luke, and that's understandable. Mary is obviously very important to this story. She becomes pregnant as a virgin teenage girl, and then she carries around the Son of God for nine months. So Mary deserves the respect we give her at this time of year. But we don't often hear as much about Joseph. We think of him as kind of hanging around in the background, of, but he too contributes something important to this story. He, too, experienced the chaos of a miraculous virgin birth. And this is what Matthew shows us. We don't know much about Joseph's life up until this point, so it's safe to assume that he was a typical young Jewish man working with his family trade as a carpenter, and he'd become betrothed to a young girl named Mary. And he had his whole life ahead of him. Things were going pretty well until the girl he's pledged to wed 
winds up pregnant. Now, it's important here that we understand the difference between what we call engagement and what the Bible calls betrothal. In, in this time, the typical Jewish custom was for a young man's parents to select their son's future wife and enter into a binding contract between the two families. Sounds fun. Often gifts would be exchanged, a, a wedding date would be set, and they would begin the formal period called betrothal. During this time, the, the, the couple would not live together or have sexual relations, but they would be considered legally husband and wife. So much so that to sleep with someone else during the betrothal time would have been considered adultery. So from Joseph's perspective, this is what he thinks happened. Which is understandable. It's, it's the logical explanation. He's formally committed himself to Mary. He's preparing to be her husband. He's saving himself for her. And she's pregnant. Joseph considers himself cheated on. Which in this time period was cause for divorce. And in some Jewish groups, divorce after adultery was, was mandatory. Jewish law considered adultery to invalidate a marriage. It could even be legally punished up to being stoned to death. This was serious stuff. And it left Joseph with really two options. He could get angry, divorce her publicly, shame her and the child, and possibly even lead to her being punished. Or he could try to divorce her quietly, privately, fulfilling his obligation, but doing it in the nicest way possible. Look again at verse 19. Here's what Joseph decides to do. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph's decision to divorce Mary quietly may still seem a little mean and harsh to us because we know the rest of the story. We know Mary didn't do anything wrong. But according to Matthew, this actually tells us two things about Joseph. He was just and he was compassionate. Matthew calls Joseph a just man. That's the same word that can also mean righteous. Joseph was an upstanding guy. He wanted to do the right thing. He knew what the law required him to do, and for him to go through and marry someone who had, had committed adultery would, would compromise him as well. He, he would be legally liable too. So, so first off, we know he's a godly man who feels compelled to do what's right. But secondly, we know he's compassionate. He says he wasn't willing to put Mary to shame. He obviously cared about her and, and the baby. He didn't want to risk her being publicly ridiculed or punished. And, and as the story goes on, we continue to see evidence that Joseph was a man who knew God and wanted to honor him. When Joseph faced the chaos of life, he was prepared. He didn't freak out or make a rash decision or lash out in anger. He, he seems to be prepared for this. And we see here... A principle affirmed in other places in the Bible is this. Peace is not determined by where you are, but by who you are. Let me say that again. Peace is not determined by where you are, but by who you are. So often we think peace is something we need to find in our circumstances. Like if I could just get a better job or have a better marriage or have better behaving kids or have this better situation, then I'll have peace. But peace is not found in good circumstances. And think about this. The most famous verse in the Bible about peace comes from Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I can't tell you how many times I've quoted this to myself. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by 
prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote these famous words, and do you know where he wrote them from? Prison. Paul was in prison, awaiting his execution, and he's writing about peace. What a nut. Peace is not determined by where you are, but who you are. This means there is a way to have peace no matter how chaotic life may become. No matter how bad things may get, you can experience the peace that passes all understanding. Okay, that sounds great. But how? How can I experience that? Well, as the point said, you got to be prepared. We need preparation. We don't just wake up and experience peace, but it's something we, we grow into. And it starts with knowing Jesus. Listen, there is no peace apart from Christ. Until you know Jesus personally, you will never know peace. How can you have peace here on earth if you can't have peace about your eternity? See, even though you and I are sinners who deserve God's judgment, Jesus died in our place. He rose from the dead to secure our forgiveness. And and I promise you, if you will believe that, if you will trust in Christ and turn from your sin, he will save you. And you will experience his peace. Peace starts with Jesus. But it also ends with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, peace does not come from trying really hard to be peaceful. Like, I'm going to be peaceful today, okay? No, more peace comes from more trusting in Jesus. The more you know him and the closer you follow him, the more of his peace you will experience. This is what I mean by be prepared. Chaos is going to come. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't control the future, but we do have some control over right now. We can choose right now to trust in Christ and do things that grow our trust in him so that when the chaos does come, and again it will, we are not totally a wreck, but we have the peace that passes all understanding. Tomorrow's peace comes from today's trust. Tomorrow's peace comes from today's trust. So that's the first way we can have peace and chaos. Be prepared. Here's the second. Be attentive. Be attentive. Before Joseph has a chance to go through with divorce, here's what happens next. Look at verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph gets a dream, and uh, I've had some strange dreams before, but uh, nothing quite like this. In this dream, an angel visits Joseph and tells him some very important and very unusual things. He says, don't divorce Mary. She didn't cheat on you. The baby came from the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a son. Call him Jesus because, oh yeah, he's going to save people from their sins. I'm guessing Joseph woke up sweating after this dream. Everything would have started to click into place for Joseph at this point because he was a faithful Jew. So some of the things that the angel said would have instantly sent off alarms in his head. For one, the angel calls him the son of David. That's a reference to Joseph's very important lineage we established last week. The angel was connecting Joseph 
to the promise that God made to David that the Messiah would come from his line and rule as a king forever. Then the angel tells Joseph that this is not going to be a typical pregnancy, but this baby is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, this pregnancy is not a result of Mary's unfaithfulness like you thought, but it's actually a result of God's faithfulness. This pregnancy is going to be a miracle conceived and delivered by a virgin, which last time I checked is impossible. And then the angel gives Joseph the responsibility of naming the boy Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. By this point, we don't know exactly how much Joseph connected all the dots, but it would have been quite evident to him that this was no ordinary child. Maybe he started to realize that, that maybe, just maybe, Mary was pregnant with the Messiah himself. Out of all the chaos of the Old Testament, the eating of the forbidden fruit, the wandering in the wilderness, the worshiping of idols, the death, the destruction, the exile, out of all that chaos, God was going to bring peace through this one child. And out of all the chaos of Mary and Joseph's situations, the, the questions, the strange looks, the social stigma, God was bringing peace to the whole world. And this teaches us something that Joseph learned through this dream. It's this. God is always up to something. God is always up to something. If he is sovereign, and he is, and if he is good, and he is, then that means there are no accidents or surprises or coincidences. God is working all things together for good. He is weaving together his master plan and even the bad things, even the unexpected things, even the mistakes. God takes all of that and uses it for his glory. So what we need to do when we're in the midst of chaos is be attentive. We need to ask questions like, what might God be doing in this situation? What might God be teaching me through this? How is this growing me into the image of Jesus? How might this be giving me an opportunity to glorify God and be a testimony to Jesus? God is always up to something. And I'm telling you, there is no greater witness to a watching world than someone who stands up in the midst of chaos and says, it is well with my soul. I have peace in Jesus. Man, it's incredible. When someone is diagnosed with cancer, loses a loved one, or is burdened by depression, and they can say like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. You can actually hear a, a real-life example of this on our latest Pastor Speak podcast. Got to make a little shameless plug here. I, I got a chance this week to interview our very own Aim Chowson about the grief he experienced in losing his father. And, and he talked about this very thing. How God used his past struggles to prepare him for the loss of his dad. Even though it was unexpected and chaotic, he trusted in the Lord. And he saw his dad's death as an opportunity to testify of God's salvation through Jesus. And if you were at the funeral, I know many of you were, that's what he did. It's amazing. So the next time you face chaos, be attentive. Look for the Lord of all peace in the midst of it. Seek him in his word and prayer. You may not understand him, but find a way to praise him. And that's where you'll find the peace that passes all understanding. So be prepared, be attentive, and here's the third, last way to have peace in the midst of chaos. Be obedient. Look again at verse 24 with me. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. 
and he called his name Jesus. Another testament to Joseph's character, he obeys. He doesn't say, oh, that was a weird dream. I shouldn't have eaten at that buffet last night. No, like he takes Mary as his wife. He, he remains pure. He cares for her and the baby. He names him Jesus. Guys, obedience isn't easy. I, I'm guessing this was not an easy time period for Mary and Joseph. What did their community think and say about him? What did their family and friends think? <laughs> like imagine trying to explain that. This baby's from God. Yeah, right. And then we know they had to travel for the census. They had no place to stay. They had to deliver the baby alone and put him in a feeding trough. But obedience is not easy. Often obeying is doing the hard thing. But obedience is the path to peace. It's not the kind of peace where everything goes your way. It's not even necessarily peaceful circumstances, and it may not even be peaceful feelings. Sometimes you hear people say that they make decisions based on having a peace about something. If that works for you, that's great. But let me tell you, I'm not sure I've ever experienced a peace about something. <laughs> I am not a peaceful feeling kind of person. When I began to believe that God was leading me to the Ridgeview campus, I did not experience peace as a feeling. I experienced heartburn. Okay, <laughs> I, was, I was freaking out on the inside. But for me, peace was knowing that I was doing what God had called me to do and I was trusting him in the midst of it. So when you're in the midst of chaos, find a way to obey. And when you don't know what to do, do the things that you know God would want you to do. What are those things? Well, it's just the simple stuff, spending time in God's word, memorizing a verse that gives you comfort, praying, fasting, reaching out to people who you trust for wisdom, going to church and worshiping with your church family, doing the things that you know honor God. Again, th these things may not be easy, but follow the path of obedience and find peace in knowing you're doing the right thing. This is how God brings peace out of chaos. When we're prepared, attentive, and obedient. But it's one thing to talk about it. It's a whole other thing to experience it. About four years ago, I dealt with the most chaos I've ever experienced up to this point in my life. And it was difficult because it wasn't related to anything in my, my family or my ministry or anything terrible that was happening. It was crazy because the chaos was hitting me. Things were going well, and I was simply laying on my own couch. The chaos was inside of me. For as long as I can remember, I've experienced this, this inner turmoil that comes and goes. But, but as a kid, I, I never had a category for it or why I felt the way I did. It wasn't until college that I, I realized I was dealing with anxiety. Christians aren't supposed to feel like that, right? That's what I thought. So I pushed it down and I hid it. I didn't want people to think I was weak or crazy. I'm, I'm supposed to be a pastor. Over time, things became progressively worse until about four years ago, I, I hit rock bottom. I had my first panic attack, and I kind of cycled between restless anxiety and hopeless depression. And I thought my ministry was over. I thought I was losing it. There were days I honestly thought I was going to die. To make a long story short, God was up to something. That season began a journey 
with God that taught me a lot about my sinful struggles and my mental health challenges and most importantly, my desperate need for God. In the midst of chaos, somehow I found the peace of God. And to this day, I still deal with challenges related to my anxiety. I still feel that inner chaos more than I would like to. And I believe I will probably always bear this weakness in some way. But I learned that peace is not about where you are or even how you feel. But peace is about what you know Jesus has done and trusting in him even when it doesn't make sense. When I moved to Blue Valley from Tennessee, I began to sense that my struggle with anxiety and depression would become an important part of my ministry. I've learned that a lot of people deal and feel like I do. Even some of you sitting here today probably. And I've found that I'm a living testimony to the truth that God brings peace out of chaos. Guys, this is not just a fancy sermon. This is, this is real to me. So, so listen, I don't know where you are today. Maybe like I was, you're experiencing more chaos right now than you ever have before. Maybe it took everything you've got just to be here this morning. Maybe someone had to drag you here. But I want you to know that God's peace is available to you through Jesus. And it's not dependent on your effort or your strength to get it all together or your ability to fix everything. It's dependent on Jesus and what he did at the cross, an empty tomb. He conquered the ultimate chaos, which is sin, evil, and death. And he rose from the dead out of that chaos to give us new life and peace. So look, your circumstances may not change. How you feel may not change, but there is one thing that does not change. And that is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is what scripture calls the Prince of Peace. Especially in the midst of chaos. Let's go to him now in prayer.